0: Last week we finished up chapter 5 and, you know, we talked about uh, when we come before the Lord and how we're to conduct ourselves and the respect that's due there. I don't think any of us would would argue with that. You know, we talked a little bit about vows that we make with God. Don't take them too lightly. Don't take them lightly at all. God respects payment. He's going to take you up on any vow that you make uh, towards Him. Um, so don't t- t- take that uh, very lightly. Uh, we talked about how when goods increase or good things increase, you know, uh, obviously worry and stress is going to increase. Uh, things that happen in this life, good and bad, uh, it's all in the way that you accept them and the way that you react to them. Uh will determine, or, you know, whether things are good or bad most of the time. It's in the way that you react to them, Um, and always remember um, everything that we enjoy on this earth, where do they come from? They come from God. Everything that we enjoy, and I, I tell myself this all the time too, that just being here tonight for all of us is only possible because of God. You know, we take it for granted, like we talked about in the past classes, that I did this, and I did that, and I go to work, and I make all this money, and I do this. It ain't about me, 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 and I. I, I. It's what the Lord has done for us that allows us to even be here uh, tonight to have this Bible study or to live our lives and to have the jobs that we have. So never forget that, you know, everything that we have on this earth to enjoy. And would you agree, too, that sometimes the negative things that happen in our lives are for the good? and sometimes negative things. We don't think about that. We want good things. We want to be happy. We want this and that and money and health and everything else. But you can also read your Bible and see where sometimes, you know, there can be some bad things that we think are bad or some situations that happen that are for the good. And we need to be thankful for those too. Uh, As Christians, we know if things were just 100% 100% happy and everything was perfect, it'd be pretty easy, right? But we know there's bumps along the way and there's hard times. But what happens when we make it through on the other side through these hard times and bumps? What typically happens? You're a little bit stronger, aren't you? We're a little bit stronger, more knowledgeable. And it makes us just a better person all around and a better Christian. And it, and it equips us more... As we go on to teach other people, hey, I've been there. Let me tell you this, you know. Let me tell you what I've learned or, you know, when it, if it happens to you again in life, you'll remember and you'll know how to handle that situation. You can use that and you can teach it to your children and teach it to, you know, the new Christians that you come in contact with. So it's really a win-win. So I always try to remind myself or have been more lately that, yeah, we want everything good and happy and the way we want it, but that's not always God's thought. You know, God, God knows more than we know. And if he hands us a little negative along the way, we need to accept that. And we need to take it, and we need to use that to our advantage and to learn from it. Okay? So some of the things I've been thinking about and the things that I learned. Yes, Steve? Well, I, you know, i tell you what I think. I. It depends on who you talk to, I'm sure, just like if you talk to somebody about the book of Ecclesiastes, is this a good book or a bad book? Some people think it's doom and gloom and terrible. I think it's a great book and positive that we can use and learn from, but if you've listened to the radio and seen how people have come together during a tragedy like Hurricane Harvey, there's people that are just going way above and beyond and showing love and giving and you know, stretching their arm out to help somebody in need. You know, so in a way, yes, yeah, a terrible thing. Bad things happen to good people, right? Mm-hmm. As Jim preached on Sunday, why why do bad things happen to good people, and vice versa? But it's how we react. You know, look at how many people have went over there and helped out and give, and you know, a lot of people are going to be a whole lot stronger because of that storm. In the end. It may not look like it now, but in the end that's gonna make a lot of people stronger and, and better people because of it. Grady? Yep. And we've talked about that in the earlier chapters, how there's a time for everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're gonna learn from every stage of that too, the good, bad and the ugly, and it's gonna make us like Grady said, that's how we're gonna to learn to become better people. Did that does anybody have any they wanna take a stab and answer, add to that? Harvey yeah, and that's kind of how I look at it. That's, you know, during bad times, people change and become better, become Christians. And you're right, it's just like this book, just like that. We could lose everything, and we've talked about that. You can get sick, you could be in an accident, a loved one can get sick. You know, we we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, and it could be tragedy. We we just don't know, and that's, you know, to Jim's point. It's, I didn't have really a whole lot of time to think about it when he said it, but you could really you know, connect the two a lot with this book right here. You know, life's short, and we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But under the sun, you know, boy, bless you. That's doom and gloom, but thankfully as Christians, we know there's a lot more to it. All righty, well, let's go ahead and jump into chapter 6 and read a little bit about it. I'm going to read, I guess, maybe the first uh, couple of verses here. And, and what we're going to talk about these first couple of verses, Solomon here uh, talking about, of course, under the sun. Uh, Solomon, there's kind of three measuring sticks, you know, as far as success goes, and maybe not so much in today's society, but way back when, you know, there was a few things that, that, you, that were more positive, I guess, or people looked at it a little bit different back then, and that's pretty much your wealth. You know your long life and your kids. You know having a lot of kids at one time was a good thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but as wonderful as long life and all these children and 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 your wealth, if we don't have God in our in our lives, you're really not going to enjoy them, right? And we're going to look at that a little bit more tonight too. Verse one and two. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. So remember that, it's common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. Okay, so the evil here that Solomon is speaking of in in the first verse, you know, is kind of what we've talked about a painful, like a misfortune, you know, of not being able to enjoy all the good things in life, all the good blessings that that God has has given us, all the good gifts that we have. But as I've read twice on there, he mentions that the misfortune is common among men. Common among men. So this means what? That's right. Whoever you are, and it ain't something that just started today, right? I mean, it it goes on back to to whenever. Many people, you know, have lived throughout time that have struggled, right? You know, it ain't just us. A lot of men throughout time have struggled with, you know, true contentment and true enjoyment. You know, it's been going on for a long time. It's not just us. Uh, Barbara? Yep. And we've said that how many times in this class so far? You know, whether you're rich or you're poor, being content with what you have, that's everything. And, you know, we talked about that, too. Who determines if you're rich? You do. Man does. We determine whether or not we're rich or not. You know, God didn't say, hey, if you got a million dollars in the bank, you're rich. You know, we're, we're the ones that determine how rich we are. So, good point. Just because of that, you're right. I know me and Cheryl were talking last night. She's doing some studying and... There's a lot of countries out there, folks, that are way, way worse than us to the point to where and we're talking about Bill Gates. He's got a foundation, real quick, where he supplies nets, mosquito nets, uh, to folks in another country. And he's increased deaths by half. But could you imagine going to bed at night and having to put a net over you so you don't get by a mosquito that's going to kill you? You know, that's kind of to your point. You know, we're rich. We've got a lot. Go look in the parking lot at the vehicles we drove up in tonight. You know, we're, we're definitely uh, rich. All right, so in, in verse 2, uh, you know, he mentions the active presence of God, and he, and he emphasizes it here, you know, the God's presence. Solomon writes that God is the one who has given riches and wealth and honor. Um, but, you know, it also talks about here the blessing of these possessions. is not really balanced with the wisdom to enjoy them. You know, he kind of mentions in there that um, yet God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. Okay? So Solomon is stating a very important principle. You know, every good gift, of course, as we've discussed, uh, gives only truly and ultimately enjoyment if God empowers us, right? You can have all these beautiful things and expensive things, but that don't mean that you're going to enjoy them. You know, we've talked about that. Riches, uh, wealth, honor, they don't always bring us happiness and contentment, right? I mean, we've beat that dead horse, I think, a lot up to this point. Just because you have riches and wealth, I don't mean you're happy. And we're going to look at another example Well, here in just a second. Um, but they don't automatically bring contentment, satisfaction, or really a lasting benefit. Rather, they can bring unhappiness, uh, restlessness, and grief. And I've got an example here. Anybody ever heard of Howard Hughes? Who was Howard Hughes? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I know he, TWA, that was his business, that airline, um, Okay, so, but it says at age 45, Hughes uh, was one of the most glamorous men in America. He dated actresses. He had all the fancy airplanes, and uh, it even said that he uh, worked on top-secret CIA contracts. Um, He owned a string of hotels around the world, Uh, and then, of course, I mentioned TWA to carry him around on all his little fancy trips, I guess, but needless to say, he was a pretty wealthy man. But then it says 20 years later, just 20 years later, at the age of 65, he still had plenty of money, and at that time, to be exact, he had $2.3 billion. That was a lot of money back then, too. I mean, you know, that wasn't quite as back as we've gone on a couple examples, but still $2.3 billion. But the world's richest man had become one of its most pathetic men. Y'all, does anybody know the story there? kind of like the last. <sighs> he came very pathetic. He lived in a small dark room atop of his hotels without sun and without joy. He had a scraggly beard and had his hair grown waist length. His, fell, his hair fell down his back and his fingernails were two inches long. Did y'all read this before I got <laughs> uh, it? Cheryl His once powerful 6'4 frame had shrunk to about 100 pounds. So just imagine this long-haired, long-fingernailed, six-foot-four guy about that big around. Um, This famous man spent most of his time watching movies over and over, with the same movie showing as many as 150 times. Y'all didn't get that. He lay naked in bed, deadly afraid of germs, as Barbara has mentioned. Life held no meaning for him. Finally wasted away and hooked on drugs. He died at the age of 67 for lack of a medical device his own company had helped to develop. Here's a multi-billionaire that died, a scared, lonely, miserable little man. Had all the money in the world. But what did, what did it bring him? It didn't bring him happiness. It, 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 it just killed him. It killed him. Talking about never judging a book by its cover. I mean, if you was to look at him from the outside, you would think, wow that guy's got it all. I'd love to be him. No, you wouldn't. You know, no, you wouldn't. Yep. And I think the reason, and that's kind of what I was fixing to say too, he had everything, but he didn't have the ability to enjoy everything that he had. You know, he, he he was missing God. And we've mentioned that in this class before. And Jim mentioned it earlier, you know, people think that, you know, we can do whatever and, I got a buddy of mine that said, he even told me today, he's like, man, I'm living the dream. I didn't have the heart to tell him he wasn't. I will tomorrow probably, but not today. (laughs) I didn't have time. (laughs) Uh, And you know what I'm talking about. But he's gone through some hard, hard, uh, that's what you were mentioning. He's gone through some tough, tough times, and he got a little close to God at that point. And then things got better, 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 and guess what? See you, God. And that's when he told me today, I'm living the dream. You know, I got it made. I got everything I want. (laughs) We know he don't. He's not a Christian, so he's missing a lot there, missing a lot. Yep, you're right. And like the the Scripture said, it's all vanity, you know. Somebody else is going to enjoy that for a little bit, and then it's going to get passed down again, you know. So good point. George Bernard Shaw said it well when he said, there are two tragedies in life. One is not to get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. One is not to get it, and the other is to get it. Think about that. Two tragedies in life: one is not to get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. Because we could think about prosperity and riches, um, and that could be, as we see here, a more a, a greater test for us than poverty. Right? You know, all that money could be the test versus. You can see a poor man grumbling and griping and, oh, look at me, how pitiful I am. I ain't got nothing. But, you know, you can see a a, a, a rich man in the same boat and saying the same things and griping and grumbling and being miserable. So, uh, I mentioned last week, too, about uh, Mr. Chuck. Everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Most of you remember Mr. Chuck, but I've been wanting to kind of put this in here, and most of y'all know what I'm going to say, but, If you remember what uh, Mr. Chuck used to always say, if somebody would say, man, if I just had all this money, if I had a lot of money, man, I could do a lot of good. I could do this, I could do that. If only I had all this money. Does does anybody remember what he would say? That's right. What are you doing with the dollar that's in your pocket? I had $5, but what what are you doing with the dollar? What are you doing with the $5 bill that's in your pocket now? But how how true is that, though? You don't have to be a millionaire, a billionaire, or filthy rich to make a difference. You know, what are you doing with the dollar that's in your pocket now? You know, what good are you doing with it, or what are you not doing with it? So I always remember Mr. Chuck saying that. That was, I thought, some pretty good, some wisdom there. All righty, let's go on a little bit further then. We're going to pick up on verse 3. Let's see here, I'm going to read three through six. If a man begets or if a man fathers a hundred children, and lives many years so that the days of his that uh, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that the still, stillborn child is better than he, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, that's a long time, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. So is really driving the point home here, you know, as far as vanity is concerned apart from God, um, and he says, he uses, you know, kind of, an I think, an eye-open <laughs> comparison here, um, talking about a stillborn child um, compared to, say, a 2,000-year-old man, okay, uh, who fathers 100 children. You know, one enjoys the full riches of life and comes back for seconds, I guess you could say, over and over and over again for second helpings. But the other doesn't quite make it, right? Doesn't quite make it to the table. And, of course, Solomon, I think, is exaggerating a little bit here just to kind of kind of get the point across. Uh, but then if you, you know, <laughs> I say exaggerate, if you remember how many wives and concubines Solomon had, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? So really that's not far-fetched, I guess, talking about a, 100 a children. And then if you remember Gideon, um, and Judges, he fathered, what, 70 sons, so I guess back then you lived forever, and, <laughs> or lived a long time, and you could have a lot of kids. But anyhow, I think he's making that comparison there, kind of from one extreme to the other, just to prove a point that we're going to talk about. And if you kind of think about it, Methuselah, how, how old was he, Methuselah, how, how old did he live to be? 969. 969, very good. In Genesis chapter 5. So imagine a man living twice that long, is kind of what he's saying. Imagine a man living to be 2,000 years old, okay, and he had 100 children in the process. Uh, Solomon's point here, I think, you know, is pretty obvious. You could live twice as long as anybody else on the earth, even back then in Genesis time, live twice as long as anybody else, and you can have more children. You could have 100 children, 200 children, whatever, but if God's not involved, if he's not in the middle of it, and if he's not your focus, uh, there's no satisfaction. He's not granting you any satisfaction there. It's all worthless. It's all vanity. So he's just kind of promoting that or just beating that point home um, again. But even, actually, he's even saying that the stillborn child is even better than that person. What in the world? Why would he even say that? I was a stillborn child, even better off than a man living 2,000 years and having 100 children. That's right. Under that's the sun. Under the sun. And that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Same outcome, whether it's a stillborn. And like you said, he don't have to go through. Could you imagine living back then, 969 years and having all these kids? To Jim's point. Man, that's a lot of getting up and going to bed, and a lot of work in the between, and feeding all them kids, and making everybody happy. And, I, you know, I, I couldn't imagine. But to his point that he's trying to make, yes, in the end, that stillborn child is better off than that man that had to go through all the motions in this life over and over every day. Okay, that stillborn child didn't have to. Didn't have to do that. You know, he's better off. Than a man living to be two thousand years old. Uh, Solomon's saying is, if your life is not marked by enjoyment, of uh, life's a good thing. Then it's, you know you're better off really if you think about it, not even be born at all. You know. I you know I guess what Jim too was talking. There's really no meaning to it. There's, it's like a rat or a hamster in a wheel. You're going through the motions, but for what? You know, there's really no meaning to it or no satisfaction to it. There's no... You can't really get anything out of 7, it. Exactly yep, the pleasures of this earth, but they'll never be never be satisfied. And we're, and I guess when going, that's on my notes here, I had that. Um, back then, to your point, Sharon, children were not... Children were, look, they wanted a lot of children back then. And not going to last and that's what we read in the first few chapters of this how solomon if you remember he tried it buddy if it was there to be got he got it if he bought it whatever he was going to find happiness and fulfillment but you remember what happened he didn't find it he, with all that money and wisdom that he had he still couldn't find it so and going back to what we've been reading that was missing from there you know, they, you don't have that contentment because there is no God, and that's kind of to the point. You know, Sharon, you were, we were talking about without God, there's no contentment. There's never. A...